0: for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals.
1: Hi, I'm Dave Bennett. I had a near-death experience back in 1983. That was the beginning of a really long spiritual journey, and I'd like to share it with you. So back in 1983, I was the chief engineer of a research vessel. We did underwater exploration it was my dream job it was my dream job and uh, one night on uh, in march 3rd of 1983 we were coming back from evaluating a new submarine it was actually a remote submarine and we were trying to beat a storm beat a storm in because um, the harbor was rather shallow and um, when we got Within two miles, the harbor master refused us entry because there were 25 30 foot breakers hitting the the outer breakwater. So they were concerned that, that we wouldn't be able to bring our ship in. We're a fairly large ship for this small marina. But we decided because we had a, quite a crew on board and one of the design engineers for the submarine we were evaluating needed to get the LAX, so the captain decided to put the small rubber boat, the Zodiac, into the water. we used that to retrieve submarines and in, in heavy seas and stuff like that. So we weren't too concerned about it. And he asked me to come along because during uh, this trial, we didn't have a full contingency of crew on board. So I was a, I was a third officer, I was a chief engineer, and um, I knew the harbor. And so he thought, maybe I should go along to just help the deckhand that we had, get these folks in and then come back out. And so the ship was stationed about two miles offshore. And it was, it was in some, you know, big, big rollers and heavy rollers, but um, we, didn't, we weren't too concerned about it. So we took a plot on the radar and we did the coastline because this was at nighttime. It was at nighttime, but we could see the shoreline was fairly lit up. This was a storm, though, you know, so it was very overcast, dark, windy, heavy seas. So we took a plot just to make sure we had our where on the skyline to uh, to point, to go, to hit the harbor. And uh, we start heading in. We saw the harbor buoy, but you got to realize the harbor buoy is, is bouncing up and down in these heavy waves, just as we would go up on the top of a roller, look try to spot the harbor buoy, then go down the swell up to the top of the next one and do the same thing over and over again until we figured we'd get to the harbor. Because the shoreline was lit up, we figured we'd get this guy or these guys somehow and we'd get them to the harbor somehow. We got about a mile offshore and we hit a breaker zone. And when I say we hit a breaker zone, actually we drove our Zodiac right off a 25, 30 footer, (laughs) just uh, flew right off it and landed. And I yelled to the mate to turn us around because I was in the bow kind of navigating, trying to see where we were going. And the mate turned us around to head back out to sea because it was a lot safer out there than it was in this breaker zone. And and that's when we saw right above us was the next one. And it came right down on top of us, and it folded that Zodiac in half like a peanut butter sandwich. And I was in the bow, and it catapulted me into the water. But I was feeling very fortunate because uh, this night we had actually gone down to the bosun's locker and pulled out life vests. And because we work as commercial divers and we spend a lot of time on the sea, under the sea, we never wore life vests, but I, it was like, boy, am I glad we wore these life vests tonight. And these were really old, old May West type life vests. Uh, they're like the World War II vintage, the big puffy orange envelopes or <laughs> big pillows, you know? And so I was hanging on to May West because I was being tumbled and tossed in the ocean like a rag doll and I just felt that she would bring me up to the surface, and all I had to do was just hold my breath. And I'm used to being in the water. I'm a commercial diver. I'm trained as a commercial diver, and so I've spent thousands of hours logged as a diver, and I was just waiting for May West to carry me up to the top. And I started to recognize the symptoms of oxygen deprivation because I was starting to get lightheaded, and I knew I could only hold my breath so long. And eventually, you can't hold your breath any longer. And meanwhile, I'm being tumbled and tossed. And just this is just the most fury I think I've ever felt in my entire life. And so, it, eventually, you breathe salt water, and I drowned. Well, it's interesting. I found myself immediately, immediately in this blackness, this absolute blackness. There was no more roaring of the sea. I wasn't cold. I was very comfortable. It was quiet, it was serene, it was calm. And I thought, wow, this isn't anything like I experienced in my diver training or anything like that. This is way beyond anything I'd ever experienced. And so I was curious because I just came from this very violent environment to this absolute peace and calm. And the funny thing was that I didn't feel like I was alone. I felt like I was just part of something, that there was this infinite presence available, but it was absolute darkness and I couldn't see anything. And I was very curious. And then I saw this light and it was just the speck of light, but it felt like I was moving toward it or it was moving toward me. And as I got closer, I started to feel this warm embrace of love that was coming, that was emanating from that light. And as I got closer and closer, I started to see that the light was made up of millions upon millions of fragments of light and they were all moving in unison together, you know, kind of like like a school of fish actually, but they were uh, like they were all coordinated and of one mind. And I was just absolutely fascinated in watching these fragments of light and the movement of light and color and everything that they were displaying. And as I got closer, three fragments broke away. And all the time that I was moving toward this love, I just, I mean, this light, I kept feeling love. I kept feeling the love more and more and more, stronger and stronger. Well. Three fragments broke away, and as they came closer, I recognized them. I recognized them as family, but not any family that I'd lived in in this life with, but just a recognition of that this was a family. And they communicated to me a thought, a meaning, a perception of welcome home. And I'll tell you, it was the most emotional homecoming I think I could have ever experienced. Because in my life, I really didn't. I grew up in a very dysfunctional type of uh, family environment. I moved from one family to the next, to the next, to the next. I never really got a sense of being a part of a family. But here, these three beings at first greeted me and eventually a dozen came and they were my family. I like to think of them as a soul family. And they were welcoming me home. You can't express the feeling that 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 was. And they communicated to me that we were going to go deeper into the light. And as we did, we went into this area that I perceived as being spherical, round, like inside inside a ball. And we started to relive my life. And when I say we, I I meant myself. I started to experience it as if I was reliving it, but not only from my perspective, but from everyone I'd ever interacted with. So it was like my consciousness fragmented into these multiple streams of of consciousness, and I was reliving my life and re-experiencing it from all these different points of view. And not only was I experiencing it this way, but my soul family. These beings that greeted me home and welcomed me home, they were experiencing it the same way. And when I became aware of that, I was a little, I, would, I have to say, I brought with me some of my fears that, you know, these people were didn't want to see some of the things that I had done because I became a chief engineer in my early 20s. And, you know, I was a brash young man and my philosophy was to cut your swath through life. And that's how you got by. And that's a pretty brutal philosophy. It really doesn't take anyone else into consideration. So, they got to experience this reliving of my life with that intensity, with that type of drive that I had. But they didn't judge me. In fact, if anything, they supported me, they loved me. And it felt almost as if they were excited to be In this process with me of reviewing my life of looking at my life but i got to see the good not so good side my better side and i got to see that the important things were when i would do something with loving intention it would create these ripples it was like almost like like after effect of your actions and I would perceive it through everyone that I was interacting with. So it was it was this incredible experience after experience that just kept evolving and growing and becoming bigger. And it was awe-inspiring and humbling all at the same time to see how much we really affect one another was quite amazing. So this life review was 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 incredible but i got to a point where i was not seeing things that i could relate to i had gotten past the point of my drowning and i was actually seeing i didn't realize it at the time but i was actually perceiving parts of my future the interesting thing was that in the part where i i had lived my life that was crystal clear it was absolutely crystal clear. I could see everything. And I could see how it affected people, I could feel all of that. It was all crystal clear. But when I passed that threshold into my future life, then it was, wasn't was quite as clear. It was like I was looking down a corridor, and that corridor was clear. But in the periphery, there was it wasn't in focus. It was like out of focus. But I had this corridor of clarity and it felt like I could go off to the right if I wanted and come back or go off to the left a little bit if I wanted and come back. And so I got the feeling that that was what we would consider as our free will. And um, and so I kept going down this corridor and, and experiencing things that that. I really didn't have any reference to. In fact, if anything, it kind of disoriented me a little bit because because of that lack of reference. But my soul family just loved me. They supported me. They buoyed me up, and we continued until I got to this certain point where the unity of these lights, all of this light that was surrounding this bubble, spoke in unison, and it said, this is not your time. You must return. And I perceived this all this this unity of, of light, these lights, these millions and millions of lights, as as God. And they told me, you know, this is not your time, you must return. And I said, No way. <laughs> no way. I I am loved like I never been loved before. I have a family that I didn't even realize existed and and there's this expansiveness here this this freedom and so i argued i said no way i'm not going back cuz i knew that my body was broken it was it was in that ocean and it was just broken and i didn't i, I just didn't, had no desire to go back well the light spoke one more time it said you must return you have a purpose and this voice was like this loving parental deep resonant voice that just you know vibrated through your whole being and that word purpose when i heard it i understood it and with that understanding i accepted it then i found myself back in the ocean, outside my body at this time though. I'm watching my body. And the three soul beings and light beings that initially greeted me were with me, slightly behind me. But we were observing my body being tossed around. And I observed the bow line of the zodiac had actually wrapped itself around my right arm and wrist and the bitter end of the line was tapping my lifeless chest so i was again i was in awe just observing this and and i was pondering you know how is the enormity of me because i realized i had become this a light being myself and how it how is the enormity of me gonna fit in that body and about the time that I was pondering that a set of waves hit the wreckage of the Zodiac and it popped up. And when it did, it yanked that line around my arm and pulled it up and pulled me up to the surface. Well, yeah. Well, once my body was up to the surface and we just rose up with it, just observing this, the... uh The line got tangled. I got tangled up in the line in the wreckage of the Zodiac. And another set of waves came and they pounded up against my back. And when they did, they pushed a little bit of that salt water up and out. And with that, I took my first breath, just as my soul family gave me kind of like a gentle push. And I went, you know, just vibrated back into my body. Well, dying is tough, but coming back to life is even harder. It was still, we were still in the breaker zone about a mile offshore, and my buddies had, uh, the guys that were with me in the boat, mates, were, um, They're the real heroes this night because they had uh, stayed on station and were looking for me. They had all rallied together. One of them had somehow hung onto a flashlight and they were all they were, you know, looking for me. And when you're expelling saltwater, you really can't talk. But I squeaked and squawked enough that they found me and they we all rallied together. And then we decided to swim in to shore. And I had a dislocated shoulder and a thumb from when that line had yanked me up to the surface, but I just scissor kicked my way in with them and hanging on to the zodiac. And it's kind of funny, you know, when you're in that light, you have this expansive knowledge. It's like you're connected to every being that ever was and every being that ever will be. And so you have this expansive knowledge that is just available to you. And When I immediately came back, I felt like I was half here and half there. And so the zodiac was holding me up, but I felt like I was, I kept feeling like I was being dragged under. And I realized that there was something wrong because I had this expansive knowledge. I knew there was something wrong with my life vest. And I unbuckled it and I saw that the fiber lining was dry rotted and had become super saturated with salt water. And it was actually what was dragging me down instead of bringing me up. And so when I released the life jacket, I was able to stay up on the surface and continue to swim, you know, hanging on to, you know, the wreckage. And we all swam in to shore through the waves and the crashing breakers and everything. And um, it was a tough night, (laughs) to say the least. It was a tough night, but it's kind of funny. You know, I mentioned that you feel like you're half here, half there. That that lasted for almost three days, just about three days. And immediately upon my return, my perception of myself and my surroundings changed because I started to see auras. I didn't know what they were at the time. I called them life force energies to myself because I didn't really want to say anything to anybody else because I thought they'd think I'm nuts. I did try to share with my first wife at the time, and and that didn't go too well. And so I felt like I really can't share it with others, and especially not my mates on the ship because we back in those days in the early 80s doing underwater exploration was considered very very hazardous work and we put our each other's lives on you know in each other's hands every day so talk about death was kind of a taboo subject so i felt really isolated that i couldn't share this experience but that life review and experiencing that love really affected me and i felt Like, I just can't dwell on the fact that I was with God or with a soul family. And those things, tell you the truth, they kind of frighten me that, you know, because who am I to talk to somebody or to talk to uh, beings like that, you know? So I tried to put that away. I tried to, I like to say, I put it in a box and put it as far away in my mind as possible. But you can't, these experiences are so much greater than this life. This life feels more like the illusion and that felt like reality, more of a reality because it's it's hyper, it's hyper real. And so the thing that I could accept right away was um, that Life Review taught me was acceptance of myself because, you know, being in your mid twenties and, and you really, you don't really know who you are. But having that life review, I suddenly knew who I was and I could accept this is who I am. You know, I'm not the greatest person walking this earth, but I can do better and I can work on myself. So acceptance of who I was and then tolerance, tolerance of others, tolerance of, of where I am in my life, of the situations that I find myself in, because I may not be happy with where I am or where I'm going or this or that, but I can change that so acceptance of myself tolerance and then one that was a little harder to grasp at the time was truth i saw that we all experienced truth there's the factual truth that i learned as an engineer when going to school and that sort of thing but then there's a personal truth that our heart recognizes and our heart resonates with And so, I just took those three things. Acceptance, tolerance, and truth. And they were my mantra. And that's what I grabbed onto. And I tried to let go of everything else. Eventually, the auras kind of dissipated. Another thing, another gift that people tell me they're gifts, another gift that I received was I could look in someone's eyes and I could see their light. But that felt so intrusive to me because that is our true being. That's our true nature. That's our who we really are, is that light, that fragment of light that we bring from the oneness into this life. And it's just a fragment of our totality of who we really are. But it's within us. And I could look in someone's eyes and I could see that fragment of light. And so I thought, wow, I was a in-your-face kind of person you know i said i was a brash young man and so so to not be able to look somebody in the eye was really hard for me i just kind of i didn't try to tell anybody else after my wife and so i just thought i'll just keep this to myself i'll take what i'd learned acceptance tolerance and truth and i'll work with that and i'll get on with my life but it's interesting these experiences don't really let you do that i tried and I tried for 11 years, but you suddenly have a higher sense of intuitive understanding and intuitive knowing. And so I would know things that were would happen or I would know things about people, things like that. And I just I called them downloads at the time because I didn't know what to call it. But I would get this information. And I didn't know what to do with it because I didn't trust it because it wasn't something that I'd learned in school. It wasn't something that I'd experienced in life. So where did this information come from and how reliable is it? Well, like any good engineer, I would test it. And so as I tested it, I found how viable the information was. And so for an 11-year period, that's how I lived my life. I I didn't really share it with anybody. And people were, you know, the guys that were there, they were said, you know, Dave, you were under for a long time. They figured anywhere from 15 to maybe 16, 18 minutes. And and they said, I, you can't hold your breath that long. And, I, and so I said, oh, well, you know, I would cover for myself because I was, in a way, I was kind of hiding. And I would say, oh, Neptune spit me back, you know. Well, I got good at covering. I got good at covering these intuitive knowings, I got good at covering all this kind of stuff because I just, I didn't feel like I could share this experience. 11 years later, I had a second experience where I relived my near-death experience. But after the second one, I saw in that life review that those 11 years, I had really changed a lot. I didn't realize how much I changed, but I had changed a lot. And so I decided from that point on that I was going to live by what I'd learned. And fortunately, at the time that I'd had the second experience, I was with a group of, because I had transitioned from my life at sea, because I didn't feel, because during that time, I was a very natural thing that happens to people that have these amazing experiences was I I felt like I was, I wasn't being of service, I needed to be more of service and help out where I could. And so I quit my life at sea because it was so isolated, that type of life. And I became and found work in other areas, I became, first I started working in hospitals and then I became the head of dialysis services in upstate New York hospital. And so I felt like I was really, you know, contributing. And I found this group and it helped me to, uh, I found other experiencers and they started to share their experience. When I had my second experience, I had a new network of people that I could talk to. And so I started to share my experience. And it was kind of funny, the first person that I shared it with, and he's become a good friend, but the first time I, ex- I started to share it or, or, you know, kind of just blah, you know, tell what happened to me, he looked at me and he said, oh, you had a near-death experience. Like, no big deal. That was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because it, it freed me from my own prison. I had imprisoned myself in hiding from this experience when I didn't have to. And you don't have to hide from these experiences. There are many people that are out there to support that I didn't even realize. And so I became involved, and I called it my quiet ministry because I really didn't want to share a lot about my experience, but I felt that I was going to live by what I'd learned, and that was what I called my quiet ministry. In 2000, I was diagnosed with stage 4 lung and bone cancer. It was so severe that cancer had metastasized from my lung and ate away two and a half bones of my spine. And my spine collapsed. Well, in my life review, when I was seeing my future, I saw that I was going to have cancer. I saw that I was going to survive cancer. I didn't know how severe it was going to (laughs) be. And I'll tell you, when somebody can develop an app to show us the timeline, you know, from what we see on the other side, I'm going to be the first one in line to buy that app. Because I didn't realize how severe my cancer was going to be, but I knew I was going to live beyond it. And so everybody and and the doctors weren't even going to treat it. They were just they gave me a pint of morphine and a jar of Percocet and said, you know, we'll try to make you as comfortable as possible and put your affairs in order because I had lesions in my hip, my brain, my kidneys. It had metastasized out and, you know, ate away part of my spine. My spine collapsed. And so it was very severe poor prognosis, you would say. That's what they said. It was a poor prognosis. So I went and used this guidance because from the first experience to the second experience and of quite a few little experiences in between, I had developed this communication with my, I call it my spirit guides or, or my soul family. And so their guidance helped me to pick a path, a treatment path to get to overcome the cancer. And within six months, I was cancer free. And so, but I had to live with a collapsed spine for over a year before they would recognize that I was gonna survive and that, and I had three spine surgeries to help correct so that I could get up and walk again and I could start to live a normal life again. It was a long road of recovery and that was in 2000. But now I just I'm retired disabled but I I live my life to the fullest. I put everything I've got into my life. And I share through my website, I share through my podcast, my weekly podcast and it's a great adventure. I'm finding life is so much better. Thank
0: you. We all